0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: How does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash chels. That's beer, the word beer, 52, the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash chels and cover just four ninety-five for the postage. What's more, Chell's Show listeners get two extra free beers, so that's a total of ten beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small-batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise, then, that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme – Themes have included Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a cheeky snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to beer52.com forward slash chels. That's the word beer and the numbers five and two dot com forward slash chels to get your first case of eight beers for free and don't forget the two extra ones they are unmissable that's beer 52.com forward slash chels Hello, good evening and welcome to the Chels Can I just say First off, I have to make an apology to you all Last one we did I didn't say and we didn't say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year Because we thought we had one more to do before Christmas But we didn't The only person who kept telling me That there was no more uh, Was Andy, Mr Andy Saunders Who's here um, You were right Andy Happy New Year mate Oh, Happy New Year. And Merry Christmas to everyone we didn't say it to before. Did you have a nice Christmas? I did, actually. It was lovely. It was very Good. quiet for Christmas itself. And then we had all our family over from Spain, and they've only left about 12 hours ago. So right. I could do with a break now.
2: <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> but, well, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. And um, let's hope this is a, a, a start of a great, long period of Chelsea success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're kind of like... It, I suppose this is the football equivalent of the midsummer solstice, isn't it? We're kind of halfway through the season and um, mm. we we can sort of gauge how we feel uh, to be where we are now through this this pod, I think.
2: Um, yeah, well, we're, 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 we're hugely overachieving, aren't we? That's, that's where we are at the moment. And I think that it's been a really interesting process since Frank Lampard took over to track the expectation levels of not only ourselves but of, of the fan base generally uh, and see where we're at. So, that for me is really interesting to see how we feel um, compared to what we said we were going to do at the beginning of the season because we all said we were going to manage our expectations, that this was a transitional period, that we would give it a couple of seasons, that we would develop this youth, and that in a couple of seasons' time we would be world beaters. Um, but obviously, with a, with a fast start and uh, a really thrilling beginning to the seasons, our expectations got ex- escalated a little bit I don't know how you feel a bit about it Kerry But um, it's it's been an interesting process for me personally To kind of figure out where where I'm at with it Or where I should be at with it
1: Well you know uh, I, I was talking about this with Tim Rolls Who we hear from later on When he does his uh, first, uh, worst and best Chelsea games Who's uh, Tim Rolls for those that don't know? You know Go on you you give him the whole uh, whole spiel I like it when you intro people like this Tell us well
2: Tim's a an author uh, who's written a number of excellent Chelsea books on various subjects he wrote a great book uh, about the Tommy Doherty uh, period he wrote uh, a a really good book about the bridge he's um, somebody that's written for uh, various fanzines at Chelsea Um, and is just a general font of knowledge uh, about the club and and just a really nice guy as well often to be found at the CFC UK stand opposite the Fulham Broadway uh, shopping mall um, on a Saturday so uh, go up and say hello if you see him Um, um, he's a top top bloke. That's who Tim is.
1: There you go. That was pretty good. I was I was impressed after I just put you right on the spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I would I would agree that um, what was the question? You, you said yeah, expectations, expectations. And, so,
2: and 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 how your expectations have been managed since the start of the season.
1: Well, I, you know, I did a. Uh, uh, radio show right at the beginning of the season and i was having the mickey taken out of out of me because everyone's going oh you've got no players you've got a you know frank lampard who's never really done anything as a manager uh, blah 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 on this radio program what are your expectations i said i have no expectations what would be success for you they said i said if we don't get relegated this year and one or two young players come through and turn into players for the first team I'll be happy. And you know what, I kind of, okay, it was a very flippant sort of remark, but I look at it now, we are fourth, we are having some incredibly good results, and some truly dreadful results, mixed with wonderful performances and dreadful performances, and yet somehow we're still fourth. And I have to hold on to what I said at the beginning of the season. Anything is a bonus for us this year. Anything that takes us or advances us as a, as a club, as a team, as Frank, as a manager is good for me. Um, but the problem is once you get something, you want to hold on to it. And I think that's where the problems come for a certain amount of fans now in the fact that now we're sitting in fourth. People are expecting us to stay in fourth and it's not necessarily going to be like that, is it?
2: well there's a lot of exploding clown cars behind us you know every time they look like they're going to catch up bits fall off them you know whether it's Man United or Tottenham or Wolves or Sheffield United or any of the other teams that are in that chasing pack I think for the time being at least touchwood we can discount Arsenal who seem to be quite a long way back but those other teams just seem intent on making it easier for us by not performing so I think we're in a slightly false position I'm very pleased that we're there Uh, and obviously we did a lot of hard work to get There at the beginning of the season we went on a really good run Which of course we did under Sarri as well When expectations got incredibly raised After the first 18 games uh, And then we sort of fell to pieces at points I mean there are a few worrying Things, I mean our home form is Worrying, we know about that The fact that we haven't had back to back wins Since the 26th of October When we had three in a row against Burnley Newcastle and Southampton You know our, our last home league win Was on the 4th of December against Villa but we are still four, fourth in the table. We are five points clear of Man United in fifth, and six points clear of Spurs in sixth. So, life is good. You know, if you'd have said to me at the beginning of the season on the on the first day of the new year, you'd be in fourth and you know five points clear, and 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 watching the kind of performances from you know young players coming through, I would have bitten your arm off. Yeah, well, as they
1: say, away is the new home. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new black. It is. I tell you, it's it's so strange. But this this sort of idea that we become terrible at home, it's not a new one. I mean, you go back to Mourinho talking about teams parking the bus. Mm. We have it always seemed to have a problem with teams who set themselves up solidly. Uh, to defend against us and we've hoped for a moment a magic but quite often even Eden Hazard you know oh we miss someone like Eden Hazard well we can all think of games where he couldn't break through certain teams you know you look at games like against West Brom and that goal that Diego Costa scored in the last few minutes when he got the ball out on the far right and managed to bulldoze his way past the defender and smashed it in the net and that was the only moment we had in that game but what a moment Mm. but so many games we've drawn over the last few years it's a problem not just for this season it has been a problem that's become a recurring problem don't you think we're not very good at working out how to break these defensive units down
2: well, one thing we've spoken about a lot this season is is fullbacks and the impact of our fullbacks, and we talk a lot about how good some of our fullbacks are going forward. Um, but if you look at the other teams, you know that we should be competing with, whether it's Liverpool or Manchester City, their fullbacks are causing damage from the wings. They are putting in exceptional crosses. They are creating opportunities from, from out wide, they are doing things that are impacting the game and if you look at our fullbacks and what they're doing, we're too often hitting the first man with our crosses the crosses are poor, the deliveries from set pieces are poor, we're not creating that width that allows us to open teams up we're just allowing teams to sit compact to sit deep and playing in and around the 18 yard area where really if you look at Trent Alexander Arnold and and um, you know and Robertson for Liverpool a lot of their impact and their incision is coming from out wide so that's why these are areas that we need to look at Rhys James has been a little bit of a revelation in that area he's you know we'll talk about the Nottingham Forest game and and how well he played in that game and in, and in other games over the Christmas period he's someone that can impact the game from out wide but if you look at the left-hand side it's not happening really so I think until we can get that attacking full-back situation nailed and sorted out it's always going to be an issue breaking down teams that play a low block
1: yeah I think that true and and the left-hand side it's it's a it's an odd situation over there we've got defenders you can sort of defend but not quite attack we've got attackers you can attack but not quite defend no one's really you you know i mean pulisic has has shown signs of how good a footballer he's going to be and it takes time to bed in i mean you remember the old days used to be player coming to a club everyone say well take him a year to settle especially if they come from abroad now people get four or five months and people say oh he's not up to it well you only have to
2: look at Jorginho and Kovacic to see that that's true you know the Jorginho and Kovacic of last season compared to the Jorginho and Kovacic with a year in the Premier League under their belts are two completely different things
1: I agree and I think you know Pulisic is being handled and managed by Frank this season. He's looking after him and I I would think he's not saying, oh yeah, you you didn't play well last week so you're on the bench. I think he's saying, have a blow, I'm going to let someone else come in, you keep getting adjusted, you're doing well. He's got a lot to learn. It's a very different game to the the German league, I think, for him.
2: I think he would have been played a lot more if he hadn't picked up injuries.
1: Well, that's the other I, thing. I
2: don't, I don't think he's necessarily being managed. I think he's had some injuries, and so he's had to sit out and, and let other people come in because I don't think, frankly, that Callum Hudson odoi would have gotten near a starting place if a fully fit Pulisic was still playing at the level as he was earlier in the season.
1: I, I think that's an interesting point, actually, because uh, Callum, uh, everyone's hero up until he signs a contract and then hasn't, you know, he's come back from a really serious injury. The kid's 19, and you hear people unrest and moodiness about him, and you think, hold on, he's just learning his craft here. And yes, sometimes he shows such naivety in things he does where he tries to do a turn just outside our penalty area or what have you. But we have to understand that, A, coming back from an injury like that's tough, but B, he's young and learning. And C, if you'd have said at the last season that this year there would be five players, 21 and under, who would be making regular appearances in the team, and that wasn't including Hudson-Odoi, you'd have been very surprised. You'd have thought he was the one out of all of them, other than Loftus-Cheek when he's fit, that would be in the team regularly. But he's actually the one who hasn't quite kept up pace. And I, I think... There's a lot going on for him, so it must be a difficult time for him mentally to adjust to everything. And I think he really does need managing, which I, mm. I think Frank will do.
2: Yeah, and I think look, he talked about the injury after the game uh, when he uh, after the Forest game, where he said it is on his mind. You know what he is testing his Achilles. He doesn't want it to go again. It is slightly in his peripheral vision. It, it must be difficult mentally to play at full capacity when you know you've had such a serious injury and it could happen again and achilles is the kind of thing that could happen again so he needs to get over that mentally i'm sure he's having some level of sports psychology on that the other thing of course is nobody knew that pulisic was going to come in and smash it like he has nobody knew he was he was just this kid that you know that everybody had raved about and you know to be fair a lot of people myself to a degree included I didn't know an awful lot about him, thought that, you know, we were buying for the US market. We were buying to sell shirts in the US or rights in the US. Um, And that we didn't realise what a really, really interesting and tricky and talented and thrilling player he was. So I think it's probably come as a little bit of a shock to CHO that Pulisic has come in and basically become the senior Player in that in that full in that, that wide position, so so it is interesting. I think those two factors of competition that wasn't expected and an injury in the back of his head, I think has has maybe messed with him his head. I don't think it's a physical problem as such, more a mental problem. Because if you look at how he played uh, yesterday against Nottingham Forest, you can see that it's it's all still there.
1: Yeah, I I'd agree. I, I think. And you can see it affects him. That time he went down with an injury yesterday. Mm. I don't know how you felt, but I looked at it and I thought, Oh god, I hope that's not his Achilles. Which is a bad place for me to be thinking from. Yeah. But imagine what it's like for him when he goes over it. It's yeah. obviously his first thought. He and he's looked- gonna get kicked. He's yeah,
2: that he kind of player. He's gonna get kicked. You know, he's 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 a tricky flair player that slightly, you know, less flair players are going to want to kick because they don't want to get beaten you know hazard was at one point the most fouled player in europe and you can see callum hudson odoi ad- inheriting that mantle unfortunately so he's got to be mentally strong and and realize that that's going to happen and he just has to be full-blooded about it i remember a long time ago frank lampard being asked why he never gets injured and he says because i never pull out of a challenge and he said, you, with the time you get injured is when you pull out of challenges or we, when you go in 50%. You've got to go in 100%. Uh, and, and that's how you avoid getting injured. But that takes a certain level of mental toughness.
1: You're, you're right, actually, because it's always the times where you try not to do something too late that causes a problem. It's like trying to take a catch in, say, cricket. Most mm. people break their fingers when they're trying to pull the hand away or whatever. So yeah. it's, it's the same principle. But, you know, for someone like Callum, I, I would suggest that a game like he had against Forest, people say, oh, it's only a pub side. It was only a Forest reserve side. You know, of course he should do well. Well, actually, when you've got no confidence, that's exactly the kind of game you go in there and do well. And you come out of it and go, well, I should have done well. And I did do well. So. It's positive, isn't
2: it? Yeah, you, you shouldn't be negative about that. I mean, yes, of course they're a pub side. They made a lot of changes. It's not a competition they're taking seriously. They've got problems of their own in the Championship. It, they almost basically said, take take this from us. We don't really want it. Um, and But we, you have to look at it positively. It was a game that Kalamazantoy had a lot of minutes in. He scored a goal. He played well. He took players on. He looked like he was you know taking the handbrake off and playing with enjoyment and all those things that he hasn't been doing in recent months so you can only take positives from it but you can temper that by saying let's not now load a load of pressure on his shoulders again and say well you played like that against Forest you know our next game you know against Burnley and uh, against Arsenal uh, after that or Newcastle after that you've now got to deliver that in the Premier League it's going to be a slow rebuilding process with him so let's take the positives out of the performance against nottingham forest and not be negative about it but also temper that with a let's let's be aware that he's not going to replicate that necessarily on a bigger stage immediately
1: yeah i agree and uh, all you can do is play the opposition in front of you he's done that now let's see if he can start learning when to make certain moves when to do certain things against different opposition Yeah, and I think,
2: sorry, one thing that I would say about it as well is that doesn't necessarily mean he deserves a start. Mm. That You know, that we have to chuck him in. If Pulisic is fit, I play Pulisic. I think bring him on for 20 minutes or, you know, reintroduce him into the side. Give him minutes. But I don't think it's a case of, you know, he needs to play game in, game out to, to play himself back into form. I think it has to be a meritocracy. It has to be the best player starts. And at the moment, for me, that's Pulisic.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. If, if he's fit. Yeah, I agree. I, he, he looks as though he, there's so much to come from him. I'm, I'm excited by Pulisic. I, and I really can't wait to see him fully fit. And it may be that we don't see the best of him until next year. You know, this yeah. this is a grounding period for him. and uh, He still
2: looks a little humble. You yeah, he does. Like, I'd like him to, I'd like a little, to see a little bit more mongrel. A little bit more, you know, a, a, just, a, just a, a bit more aggression in his play.
1: Um, more mongrel said the man from barking
2: <laughs> um, I mean the other thing about, about Callum and Pulisic and, and William and, and all these other wide players is what happens if we sign another wide player I mean what if we sign Zaha what if we sign you know another uh, player that's going to play out wide on the left or the right where does that leave the pecking order how much of a problem does that cause frank lampard how much does that affect young players psychologically if they feel that they're being not back in the pecking order um you know it's interesting what we do in the transfer market and how that's going to affect those players psyche as well
1: yeah absolutely but this is where all bets were off because when we had a ban frank could just be the manager and he's got what he's got and you, you noticed that there was slight issues when he was trying to work out his centre-back pairings that obviously it becomes difficult because he has suddenly had four centre-halves all vying for position. He had mm. to start making decisions. Um, now, when you start bringing new players in, as we all know, January is not always the best time to buy players. Uh, I can't think of a mainstay player that we bought in January who then played... In January and became a legend for the club. Can you, Luis? Okay, we're, yeah, okay. He's probably about the only one, isn't he? Championship,
2: Ch- Champions League winning David Luis.
1: Yeah, no, I, I guess he did. He came straight in the side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other big player that we bought in January, but he didn't play that season, was Ivanovic. Yeah. But um, Torres? Did we buy Torres in January? <laughs> well, okay, that opens up a whole new debate. I I'm, love I'm Torres, not I'm
2: just, I'm just talking about players we bought in January, not, not Anelka. They,
1: uh, Anelka we bought yeah, in January. Well
2: Anelka, golden boot winning Anelka.
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting, but I mean Nicholas
2: Anelka was a you know, was a really important player for us.
1: Yeah, I guess. but at the same time i
2: I mean he never really captured years. our hearts. He never really you know, achieved the bond with the fans and the club that other players did. But you know, he had a season where he scored ludicrous amounts of goals.
1: Yeah, and he did he did score, you're right. But um but on the whole you don't buy your team. Shevchenko bench- <laughs> did we buy him in January? No I we didn't know. did because we, no, so, we no. didn't
2: because we because he can he played in the um Charity Shield didn't he? Yeah that's
1: exactly so, to and to <laughs> no. that's when we worked out straight away. Oh no it's Chris Sutton. Just shorter, <laughs> but uh, but you know, so January is never going to be. I don't think it's very. Well, you're rare. never going
2: to get value for money. I mean, what January is good for is buying players towards the end of their contracts, who you can then loan back to their parent clubs and get them in the summer. So, in other words, do the deal now. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we did a deal for a player in January, loan them back. And then they joined us full-time. Because that's what we did with Pulisic.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that worked out well. Yeah. But it was interesting. If you notice that, the, the stories coming out of Germany with it was that we bought a dud. That it was no good. There was yeah, well, a, that,
2: that was just spin, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Of course they're going to say
1: that. You know? total. I so, mean, you
2: know, you're looking at other players coming out of Germany, like Jaden Sancho and, and various other things. I mean, that could be... The, I mean, I, I don't like transfer speculation. I don't think it... You know, we don't know. Nobody knows really until it happens. Chelsea are very secretive on their transfer dealings. But you know, I could see, for example, a Jaden Sancho being bought in January and staying at his parent club, and coming to us in the summer.
1: Yeah, okay. And or
2: that- or a, a Musa Dembélé at Leon. You know, who seems heavily linked with us, but they can't let him go because they don't have another striking option
1: we we've only got one striking option i mean we'll get onto to forest and our striker <laughs> later, cause yeah. i'll strike later because i'll get all cross um okay just quickly zaha or sancho
2: zaha or sancho yeah um oh, oh sancho without doubt i mean there's no doubt about that yeah. I can't, that can't even be an argument right. I think look I'm not as down on Zaha as some people I think he's a he can be an impactful player my problem with Zaha is I think that he's the kind of player that likes to be a big fish in a small pond yeah and I think if he came to us and was a squad player I'm not sure that he's going to be as effective as he is at say Palace where he is at the moment where a lot of the pressure's on him. I think he relishes in that, you know, I'm the guy that impacts the game. Uh, you know, whether he can come in and do that job on the right or left side of our front three, you know, with the level of squad around him and maintain that level of focus, I don't know. That's my problem with him. But I think he's a good player and I think that he he is impactful. He doesn't score enough goals. That, yeah. that's, that's the problem with him. Jaden Sancho, I think, has got it all in front of him. I think he's a brilliant player. I mean, I haven't seen him that much, but what I have seen of him has thrilled me. I think he looks great.
1: Yeah, and a Chelsea fan.
2: And a Chelsea fan, yeah, and young. And young.
1: young. Mind you, Luke Shaw was a Chelsea fan, and we never bought him. No. Which, you know. Well, I
2: think we dodged a bullet there.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Well, or he just got ruined by Mourinho. Yeah. But um, anyway. All right, well, look, um, what I think would be nice now is if we go to our little feature, which is back this week, with Mr Tim Rolls, who everyone knows all about now, which they probably did anyway, um, who's going to talk to us about his first, best and worst, first, worst and best, whichever way you want to do it, Chelsea Games. Here's Tim Rolls.
3: Hi, this is Tim Rolls with my first, best and worst Chelsea Games. My first Chelsea game was in September 1967, it was a two-all draw against Stoke a couple of weeks before Tommy Doherty got sacked. Um, Chelsea's first goal was a, ta- a penalty by Bobby Tambling, and Peter Osgood scored the other. The game, I've read a match report. The main feature of the match report is the fact that Stoke made 15 back passes to Gordon Banks in the last 10 minutes. And when you consider that their team included inveterate cloggers like Eric Skills, Alan Bloor, and Calvin Palmer, that's perhaps not a surprise. So that was my introduction to Chelsea. Uh, I've done 1,450-odd games since then, and I remember very little about that, to be honest, apart from the um, the cheering of the crowd and the fact that there was a second-hand bath shop on on the uh, King's Road, which I have no idea why I remember that, but I do. My worst is probably... The 1-0 Cup defeat against Wigan in uh, 1980. Chelsea were spluttering along, but they'd been relegated the previous year. We're looking like they could get promoted. Everyone expected to beat Wigan, who were two two divisions below. We lost 1-0, and a man called Tommy Gore scored the goal, a name imprinted on the memories of the majority of the 22,300 who who caught pneumonia, uh, attempting to enjoy that one. Best game, I've tried to be a bit more left field. I think April 2005, the end of April, we won at Bolton to win the title. But at the start of April, we beat Southampton 3-1 with two goals from uh, Idega Johnson. I think it was clear that day that we were almost certain to win the league. And I think... The concourse at half-time was absolutely unbelievable. Chelsea supporters singing and chanting. People stayed there, didn't go out at the start of the second half, uh, despite the fact the bar had closed. And it was, it was almost redemptive. It was just old-school Chelsea realising that their team, after 30, 40 years of disappointment, depending on how long you've been going, or relative disappointment, were actually going to win the, win the league. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal day. So that's that's my choices anyway.
1: Thank you. There you go, Andy. I I love these trips down memory lane, don't you?
2: I do. Tim's uh, clearly significantly older than you or I.
1: Yes, <laughs> makes me feel a lot better.
2: Yeah, mind you, not not he's not probably. I mean, you're you're that's your era, isn't it? That he's talking about there at the beginning.
1: Well, it's a little bit before my time. My first game was nineteen. Well, it was actually Boxing Day, nineteen sixty nine. Right, right. So, um, yeah, just yeah. before my time, but it was. The I stuff love
2: the, of um, the, the one he did for, for his best game. I thought was a great call. I, yeah, I, I think that's a re- I remember that game really clearly, um, and I think that's a great call. That that moment when you know, you know instinctively that you are gonna you are gonna win the league is, is. I think that's a really really good call that he made there.
1: Yeah, I still had that feeling that you know. But you still go, but we are Chelsea, and we I kind know. of have lost that feeling for a lot of people have lost that feeling. It's still in the back of my mind.: I, I sp-
2: wonder if anybody will pick the Blackburn game for that reason, you know, where they threw their shirts into the crowd, you know, where I think Robin got injured in the game and check saved a penalty, and there was a really hard fought game against Blackburn. That, that was one of those I think we might win here moments. you know I wonder if anybody will pick that.
1: Well, maybe you should. Maybe I should. Maybe you should, you know. So, Anyway, well, l- let's go back as well to the beginning of, of uh, Christmas because we we had this really odd Christmas period where we played two North London rivals in a short space of time away from home. And to be honest, you would be thinking if we could get a couple of points out of them, maybe four, maybe we can beat Arsenal, a draw at Tottenham wouldn't be bad, and we ended up winning them both. I mean and they those two results have kind of knocked everything else into a bit of a well at least we did this it 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 was a bit of balance for us but you went to Tottenham didn't you
2: yeah I did and I really enjoyed it uh fans were brilliant the stadium is brilliant it's set up brilliantly for football uh everybody was in good voice we gave the team great support the team responded really well I thought there were some magnificent performances in that game William, who got obviously both goals was unbelievable in that game um, and I just thought we defended well we 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 took our chances well obviously the big talking point about that was Frank switching to three at the back and completely outflanking Mourinho who hadn't anticipated it? Who couldn't react to it in the game? Um, and allowed us to to really put them on the back foot. I mean, and they really, really threatened us, to be honest. Um, and we completely dominated the game. It wasn't. We didn't just win. We I thought we hammered them. It was a really, really good result.
1: Yeah, for me, it was without doubt our most complete performance of the season. Everything just worked. Everybody did their job brilliantly. And we have seen if we can get a level of consistency that is up to that performance, we will challenge the very, very best there is in this country in the next year or so. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I I thought as a spectacle, we were magnificent, really Mm. were. Uh, And I thought Frank got all his thought processes right. Uh, I think Frank showed that he's learnt at the feet of people like Mourinho and other very good managers because he used that knowledge. You know, we always used to say that Mourinho was one of the bravest managers. As soon as he knew things weren't working, he'd change it, whether that be after 33, 34 minutes, um, whatever. If you know it's wrong, it's wrong. And to be fair, Frank has made mistakes over this Christmas period, but on the whole, he's tried to be reactive when he's not been. Getting things right, don't you think? Well, one
2: of the mistakes he did make was trying to replicate what he did at Spurs in the wrong environment. You know, trying the three at the back again when clearly at the bridge against a team that was going to sit back against us. um, It it didn't work. Um, And so... There was a sense of, well, this worked, let's try it again, rather than trying to figure out who the opposition were. I don't want to came Frank. Frank's done brilliantly. But I just felt that was a mistake. And it, it was evidence that he still got a lot to learn tactically. That worked brilliantly against Spurs. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was a tactical stroke of genius. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, are you sure? Um, but it, it worked really well. And we, and we played really well. But a lot of that was down to the, the element of surprise. Yeah. You know, the fact that it was an element of surprise Once you've done it and you've done it again And people know that you might do it They can plan for it um, So it's, it's not going to work all the time Unless you put some real thought into it And I think that one of the problems That we've, we've experienced or we've had Is this lack of really understanding the opposition or, or how we can get at the opposition And picking a side that's the right balanced side For that particular opposition I still think that's part of Frank's learning curve
1: Yeah I I would agree with you and um, well we'll talk more about the learning curves in a minute uh, because we've got to go to this commercial break Hello and welcome to Seeing Red,
2: a
3: true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime
2: Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbotts, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours.
1: So we're back. Um, Andy, yeah, learning curves. There's a lot of learning going on. I mean, we're learning as fans, you know. We've got Frank learning as a manager. We've got young players learning to play at the highest possible level. Um, And we saw so many things go right, so many things go wrong. It's such a mixed bag we've had over Christmas. It kind of sums up where we are as a team. And I guess the most important thing to try and discover... What every the, the nirvana of of football is to find consistency. It's it's something that has allowed us to stay in fourth place. We've talked about you've talked about you know the the crazy uh, cars behind th- and and what have you that can't get it right. And um, it is something that we try to gift uh, away our fourth place, and nobody's taken advantage. So we have to at some point, hopefully put our foot on the accelerator don't we and find that consistency
2: yeah, and the margins are fine. Let's not forget, it's not as if we are winning games comfortably and losing them terribly. These are, you know, I mean, the 2-0 loss against Southampton probably flattered them a little bit, I think. Um, but we weren't good in that game. We weren't set up well in that game. We didn't play particularly well in that game. We didn't create enough. But there have been opportunity uh, or times when we haven't taken our opportunities, where we have created enough chances to win games comfortably, but we just simply haven't taken the opportunity and a ball that has, you know, gone too close to the goalkeeper or has scraped an upright or just has been mishit in a good position or the wrong decision has been taken on the final ball these are the margins that we're working with and a couple of those and we'd all be talking about 12 points over Christmas and you know what an amazing position we're in you know the 1-1 draw against Brighton on New Year's Day was down to a magnificent overhead worldie you know you can't legislate for that you can't set up for that you know they were at us a little bit Brighton in in that last period of the game but we should have been able to see that out and I think you know, I've said a few times this season that game management is something that we really need to figure out. What happens if we're 1 0 up with 20 minutes to go? How do we play? Do we still go hell for leather looking for the second goal? Or do we sharp shot? Do we take it into the corners? What do we do? Is anybody talking to the team about that? Is anybody having that discussion with the team about what are the various scenarios? Because it looks to me like it's kind of up to the players. And the players are probably the worst person to give that responsibility to. So, I, I don't know, maybe I'm overreacting. But a couple of games I've watched over the Christmas period, I've thought, you haven't managed this well at the end. You just well, haven't.
1: Well, you know, we were so far aw- and away ahead of Brighton in that game that we should have been out of sight. And it almost feels like that was a loss. You know, it was oh 100%
2: it, I went to that game as well And, and it, it did and, and I think everybody was a little bit downcast when they came out A point's not a terrible result But against teams like Brighton We should be taking three points And we should be creating opportunities And being solid enough at the back To stop them scoring Now as I say that was an amazing goal Alright fair enough You hold your hands up They come along occasionally and, uh, and you can't legislate for them But you're right we should have been out of sight
1: yeah, absolutely, and it, it was a, uh, it was one of those being an early start. You thought, oh no, that's a dreadful way to start a day when we've got all this football. That's. Uh, available to watch I know. and actually at the end of it i was really quite happy with the way the day had went it was bizarre wasn't it you thought oh
2: it was a very very subdued atmosphere at uh, at the mx stadium in brighton <laughs> with a lot of sore heads from the night before i think
1: yeah well you know it's a it's a duff time to have to go there if you if you're traveling and you've been up half the night that's for sure but um yeah. well look, what what i'd like to do is i i think we should um you know Mr. Nizar Kinsella from Gold.com has given us a sort of a roundup of his Christmas watching Chelsea. And I think we we should have a a quick listen to that. He'll take in the Forest game and we'll have a little chat about a couple of elements of that afterwards. Here's Naz.
4: Hi, all. This is Nizar Kinsella, Gold.com's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, I've been to a lot of games over this festive period um, and yeah it's been a mixed up and down spell for Chelsea. Uh, Inconsistencies have been at the heart of it but you know um, in terms of atmosphere after the games and things like that you know we had the Tottenham game where um, we're in that big new stadium the Chelsea fans were having a great time Um, you know it was a game plagued by racist incidents so much of the reaction was about that after the game and you know the Spurs players were great coming out after it and saying Saying that uh, you know any any racist fans are not welcome at Tottenham, and then the Chelsea players as well had to address it. But there was a sort of optimism, excitement, and you had to celebrate the result, and, and that, that certainly shone through as probably Chelsea's best performance this season. You saw that in the players' faces. Uh, we saw Willian, Mason Mount, um, Tammy Abraham all coming through after the game. Willian obviously a match winner, but um, yeah, there, there was just sort of a great vibe. We got wished. Merry Christmas by the players, uh, particularly Quetter is always top at those kind of things, you know, just very, um, you know, n- a normal sort of human, even though he's also, like, you know, considered a superstar, TV star, superhero in a Chelsea shirt. Um, yeah, he's certainly somebody who always uh, wishes us uh, a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, whatever else, safe trips, that kind of thing. So, great guy. and um, Yeah, and then, you know, it was obviously poor against Southampton, which is something we come to expect from. Chelsea and um, and then you go to Arsenal um, and you don't know what to expect really but um, again Chelsea won Um, wasn't a perfect day by any means but um, yeah I mean Tammy Abraham's goal celebration and all that Tarek Lamptey coming on um, putting in a decent show in, debut away at Arsenal, uh, Abraham celebrating like Drogba, um, you saw Tarek Lamptey as well with his, his sort of dad was there and and, and so supportive coming over, just a, a sheer celebration, a dream come true for both of those two guys in different ways, uh, Frank Lampard with his arm around the guy, uh, Tarek Lamptey after the game and and the celebrations in front of the Chelsea fans, um, yeah it was a big day, Um we spoke to Jorginho after the match though and he he was you know he's kind of a leader in the dressing room and he's sort of saying that um you know that the players need to stay focused, um, need to be more aggressive. That was a big word that he used, uh, aggressive, um, and 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 you know it's kind of uh, it's kind of like caveated the result, very good result, but look, we uh, need to maintain this, do it away from home, do it at home as well, um, do it in different circumstances, and and not be complacent because Chelsea started the match very poorly and Jorginho, mm-hmm came on after 34 minutes and I thought he was great so yeah he was the guy who spoke to us fresh, just learned English but he's brilliant at it already so uh, that communication uh, is great and it, it's an asset to the team and he, he also delivered a sort of half time pep talk in the tunnel as well in that game so yeah and then, and then to finish off um, Brighton you know, it was a bit of a New Year's Day lull, um, and performance-wise, I thought Chelsea were actually good, but um, you know, you, you draw that game, and, and disappointment comes out again. Um, but yeah. Um, it's just one of those things. We've um, we've had a busy old period. Uh, there's also been the FA Cup third round. We spoke to Ross Barkley. Saw the players leaving the stadium. Um, Pedro shot straight out of the stadium. Could it be his last game? Possibly for Chelsea, and it did look like it from our perspective. But it's just a body language thing that you read. Um, you know, Barkley as well. It's the entire opposite with him. It's uh, I want to fight for Chelsea. I want to be a Chelsea player. Um, that was the that was the clear message. So yeah, and um, that's the sort of. Roundup of many games over this Christmas period and uh, great to be back on the Chelsea. And we're back, Andy. So, interesting.
1: I I thought there's quite a few things in there that that really intrigued me. That, um, you know, he he was talking about all the things that happened and one of his major moments was Tarek Lamptey coming on for his debut um, and how his family were all there and going Completely nuts celebrating the fact that he started out and um, getting onto the pitch, rather. Um, wh- wonderful sort of little story within a story, Tarek Lamptey. For, for a lot of people, they won't know him. We'll have heard about this wonder, wonder kid right back that we got in Reese James. But behind him, there's a, another wonder kid as well. He, he looks great, doesn't he? He's not big enough yet, sure, but he looks a talent, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously it was his home debut against Nottingham Forest, but he'd come on against Arsenal, hadn't he? And, no, that's uh, what I was
1: talking about. His uh, coming on for Arsenal was yes, just right, okay, really yeah, exciting. Yeah,
2: so so you know, against Arsenal, he looked he looked really exciting. Got the ball. One of the first things he would do was thread the ball through for for Tammy Abraham, who did it a little bit and might have got a shot away and could have had his first assist with his first touch. But yeah, he played really well. And then obviously came on against Forest and and uh, and and had his home debut uh, and got his. Uh, uh, his, his round of applause Off the home fans So yeah It's amazing That we've got these kids Coming through I think Tariq Lamptey Is very small That's my um, You know That's my only Sort of slight reservation Is he's tiny I mean he's rapid He's a pocket rocket But you know As a full back Can you Can you be that small um, Philip Lahm He's not that small <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he's not, Phillip, though, well. is
2: he?
1: <coughs> no, but he's still very, very young. So uh, he is I think very he'll and fill look, out. Look,
2: that's, that, that's, that's not taking anything away from, you know, the, the 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 thrill he must have got of coming onto the pitch and having been there since a small boy and making... I mean, I don't want to take anything uh, away from him. He is probably... Third choice at the moment behind Aspin and James. Um, he is, you know, somebody that you know hasn't got a long amount of time on his contracts, so and there's a decision to be made about whether we keep him and whether he wants to stay and be third choice. Uh, so there's, there's, it's a really the Tarek Lamptey situation is quite an interesting one on a lot of levels. I think he's a really interesting player. It was interesting when he came on against It wasn't it, that they pushed him up into midfield, that he actually did this sort of right side of midfield role in front of. Reese James yeah so he's clearly got some versatility to what he can do as well so you know a few people that I know of who who know these things have said that he's a real talent and that he is somebody that the club really like and want to keep and see having a future at the club again it's a question for the player with I think he's got one or two years left on his contract whether he wants to go to a club and play a little bit more football maybe there's a loan move uh, in there for Tarek you know, and, and then he comes back, much as some of our other uh, more developed senior players have, such as um, Fioca, Ficaro, uh, Tamori, and Mason Mount, and Tammy Abraham, and some of the others have have gone away and then come back. Maybe that's that's what's in the pipeline for Tarek but we'll see.
1: Yeah, it could be. Uh, Nas was also talking about uh, Pedro leaving the the pitch and you know, heading straight out the the stadium, pretty much. Suggesting that possibly it may be his last game for for Chelsea. Um, how do you feel about somebody like him going? If he went now, is it a strange time for him to go, or is it? No, it's a absolutely time? it's
2: absolutely the right time to go. It's completely logical for him to want to go and well let's be honest get one more payday he'll probably end up in China or America and, and and be one of these heritage players a legendary player going and play for one of these clubs that will help boost the brand of the game in, in, in one of those countries uh, I wouldn't have any problem with him doing that at all I think he's been a brilliant servant for Chelsea Football Club he's been part of some really big moments in the club's history he's been he's created some really big moments in the in the club's history he's had his detractors i've never been one of them i'm looking at you phil daniels and um or oh, did phil love pedro i can't remember did he like him more you can not never like tell him? with him <laughs> i can't remember whether he liked him i think he didn't like him i don't know <laughs> I'll, 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 um, I'll pick that up on the next podcast but anyway look he's had some detractors I always felt it was a little bit unfair I think he was a player that always gave 100% whenever he came on the pitch he always looked like he was enjoying playing football he was a wasp at a picnic he would buzz around he would cause problems he would pop up score goals create goals sometimes he would his touch would let him down he had a couple of seasons where he wasn't at his best but he was a class class player who let's be honest won it all at Barcelona won it all with spain and it was a real treat to watch for the time that he was at chelsea football club
1: talking of winning it all um were you surprised at the way chelsea fans sing we've won it all at forest fans who basically won it all well before us
2: <laughs> yeah well yeah that's football fans for you it, isn't it? it it is never let the facts get in the way of a good story
1: no exactly um the, the other thing that nas uh came out with was that uh, Ross Barkley talked he was chatting to him afterwards and talked about how much he wants to stay at Chelsea and make his mark at Chelsea and and do well here. Um, would you be worried if you were Ross Barkley at where you now sit in the pecking order in this team?
2: I've said it before, he's getting absolutely nowhere near our first choice starting eleven. He's not. He's not anywhere near the level of Kovacic, Jorginho, Kanté, uh, Mason Mount or you know Ruben Loftus-Cheek when he comes back. I just think he is a player has gone backwards in his development. I don't think that he is at the level that we need at the moment. He's not a kid anymore. He's not somebody that you can think well he's only 21, he'll develop. He's not that anymore. I just don't see him fitting into the long-term plans of what Frank Lampard's project is at the moment. I just think he will be a player that's going to get sidelined more and more and, and, and end up going somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I, I think you could be right. I think he'll hang around for the rest of this season. I don't think um, he
2: had a good game yesterday either. I mean, he had an opportunity to come on and show what he was about. Yeah, he scored a goal. He got a tap in at the far post. And he was there. Give him credit for that. But I thought he gave the ball away, got caught in possession a lot. His distribution was poor. Had a couple of nice touches, but against a pub team like Nottingham Forest, he didn't shine.
1: Well, this is my, my point I was going to make about a game like yesterday. A game like yesterday, yes, we win, everyone goes, we won 2 0, easy, comfy win. But it was a, a team that was littered with players who need to say to the manager, don't forget about me. I'm a decent player, I can do a job for you. And I don't think, out uh, of people like Ross Barkley um, and the other person for me who showed exactly why he is never, ever going to challenge and I hate being even slightly rude about Chelsea players Mitchie Batshuayi Mm. was just appalling for me and I don't like saying it but honestly you need a striker a striker should be going look at this look at the side I'm up against I want my fill of goals and he didn't get one
2: well he had opportunities too and he just didn't take them he's I just don't think he's a clever footballer i don't think he said it so many times regular listeners will get bored of me saying it i just don't think he's got a strategic brain i don't think he listens to what he's been asked to do tactically he can't hold the ball up effectively he can't really run at players effectively he's really good in the six yard area when the ball drops he's got that fox in the box quality to him but that doesn't that doesn't. That's not enough to command a starting place in a team like Chelsea. I think that in the air he's suspect. I just thought he was poor yesterday. I am like you. I, 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 you know, if he wears a blue shirt, then I'll support him one hundred percent. You know, I am never going to boo him or, or disparage him in the ground or do anything within within his listening that that's anything but support the guy. But I think it's fair enough to critique players' individual performances and say, as you quite rightly said, you had an opportunity yesterday to go out there and really dominate a poor, second-choice, championship, relegation-threatened defence, and you didn't.
1: Yeah, it's true. But, yeah, well, we'll we'll leave him to, well, not even get on the bench. We
2: absolutely need another striker. because Olivier Giroud looks like he's making noises about wanting to go off to play football and I can totally understand that he's a world cup winner there's a lot of demand for players like Olivier Giroud in certain leagues and certain teams he's not a player that I think Frank looks at with any particular fondness or uh, desire to to play week in week out he's a Definitely the, probably the third choice, uh, I say definitely, probably third choice in Frank's mind behind Mishi. Mishi's, I don't think, good enough to. Um, come in and, and, uh, and cover for Tammy If Tammy gets injured or waylaid in some way um, Tammy I think is great But he needs backup, he needs support And he needs competition, he needs competition for the place I'm a great believer in that we should have competition For every place in the team That nobody should get comfortable, that nobody gets a free ride uh, And that includes all of the young players And Tammy Abraham and everybody So bring in a striker that's going to Create problems for the manager And competition for the individuals
1: yeah whether you can get a top level striker now maybe you can get somebody who 's thirty one something like that that will come along for and go yeah i 'll stay here for a few months that just will if he gets a bit of game time'll score goals i don 't know it 's t- it 's a tough position to to find at this time of year that 's there 's
2: actually quite a lot of decent young strikers in european south american and uh uh, and and other leagues at the moment it's a question of whether they'll come in january i think we can be in the bidding for them in in the summer uh where we can sit down and talk to you know the musa dembele's and uh, and various other people about coming and joining this project and i think it is an attractive project for young strikers to join the question is as we've discussed earlier will we get them in january the answer is probably no
1: no i'd agree um the the last I'd like to say the best performance for me of the whole forest day was without doubt the retro kit oh (laughs) my god I fell in love with it not just because I'm an old fart well well, yeah but it was so good wasn't it Don't, don't you think it was the best kit we've seen in quite a number of years at Chelsea well
2: it's without saying I mean I would go so far as to say it's up there with the original I really, really like it. And I know we did this as a um, a celebration of of the anniversary of first winning the FA Cup in 1970. Um, But the kit is absolutely beautiful. And a few people said it's really interesting watching some of the players. Watching, for example, Christensen just looked like john Hollins in that kit <laughs> he just did <laughs> um and you know I, I said on social media all we needed was a muddy plowed field of a pitch uh, and a running track and some thunder thundersley invicar um you know disabled cars and you the know reliant a cloud of s- robins re- well no they're called thundersley invicar that's what they're called are they yeah that's oh. the actual name for them the little light blue disabled oh, okay. cars oh. um and that's you awesome. know a run a dog track and a running track and a cloud of cigarette smoke and somebody shouting peanuts and we were right back in 1970 the kit kit was fantastic and you know it looked great on the players i'm not sure it's going to look great on a slightly overweight middle-aged man like me but you know but on the players it looked brilliant and uh, if we could play in a kit like that every week i think certainly the older generation among us would love it
1: yeah it just is stylish i i just love the way they've done it i just don't understand why they didn't do the bonetti green outfit
2: i think that's a, somebody said that was an fa decision that you could do it for the um you could do it for the on-field uh, or, the, or the outfield players but not for the goalkeeper why is that i don't know i don't know why but somebody somebody said that no he should have been in a, in a light green uh sort of rolo uh, polo neck jumper with a flat cap and no gloves
1: <laughs> that's a bit earlier but um but yeah I, I, i'd love to know Benetti somebody never used us. to wear gloves did he yeah, because I used to have a pair of Peter Bonetti. Did gloves. he always
2: wear them though? Was it not a, always? No, not no, I don't think
1: always. But I had bright green, gr- well, green gloves that were, had his you know signature yeah. on it that matched the shirt and things. Yeah, I had a pair of p- Peter. But I Benetti don't think gloves.
2: in the earlier part of his career he wore gloves. I think that was a later addition. Yeah, yeah, and I no, think a lot was. of a lot of the a lot of the goalkeepers around that time didn't wear gloves. No. Crazy to think of that, though, isn't it?
1: I know. It really is. Anyway, look, look, before we go, we have got a nasty game coming up. It's Burnley at home. We've got history against them. It's all the kind of games summed up into one with Burnley that we've been talking about that are difficult for us to win at home. This is going to be the same old, same old, isn't it?
2: It's going to be a difficult game. It's always a difficult game against teams like that. Sean Dyche knows really what the strengths and weaknesses of his team are he knows that they are a team that are going to be really in the game if they get set pieces um that if they can get the ball up to their big front men um they can cause us problems and that's an area of vulnerability for us i don't think they're amazing at the back i mean it's been proved in recent games that they've played that they're not amazing at the back so it will be really interesting to see How we set out for it I think that we've got We've got an opportunity I think to go out And play the brave Football that Frank Lampard wants Chelsea to play which we just haven't Done um, and so I think It's, it's, um, it's going to be Really interesting to see uh, How we set up for it What the, what the uh, team we pick For it is and um, You know and, and, and how we approach The game
1: yeah and and really it's another one of those games <clears throat> which we'll have a chance in if we can get an early goal. Early goal changes the shape and it changes the belief of the opposition. If we, The longer it goes on without a goal, the more worrying it becomes.
2: You know, Burnley, are like, they're only four points off the relegation zone. They've not had an amazing season. They've lost seven. Uh, sorry, lost 11. They've only won seven. They've drawn three. They're not in amazing form. They're not the Burnley of two years ago where you would think, actually, they've really got a chance. They're the Burnley of... coming to Stamford Bridge where our home record isn't good and our team are a little bit vulnerable against big players causing havoc in our penalty area.
1: Yeah, well, you've bigged up the loss then for us. (laughs) That's all the the prerequisites you need to beat us at home at the moment. Let's hope it's just not true. Okay, so give us your prediction for the game.
2: Well, I hope the tide is turning. I hope that we are starting to learn what mistakes we're making and, and and stopping repeating them. So I think that this game will be a starting point of a new look mentality for Chelsea. So I'm gonna go for a win. I don't think it's gonna be a particularly big win, but I'm gonna say two nil.
1: Okay, I'm going for two one. That's that's my thinking. Okay. Um, but I think it's gonna be a tough one. Anyway, look, it's great to be back chatting to you about all things Chelsea. Um And, yes, I guess we will see how we go over this weekend. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch up with everyone next week. Thanks, as always, Andy. My pleasure. Um, Thanks, of course, to Tim Rolls and to Nizar Kinsella from Gold.com as usual, for doing his roundup. And we'll see you all next week. Cheers, everyone. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
4: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino.